Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of Almost Awakened. I'm your co-host, Mikkel. And I'm Bill. And today we're talking about something super interesting. I know that Bill and I have kind of hashed this conversation out a couple of times and we've read some books and... Um, it's nice to be able to talk to someone who has experience. So today on the podcast, we've got River. We're going to be talking about non-monogamy. Um, so, Bill, do you what 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 are your thoughts in in regards to this? And tell me what you're thinking. Yeah, so I'm excited for the conversation, River, because I think when on the first half of life. We, we all are trying to fit this expectation that society has on us. And when, uh, on this side of life, having woken up and realized, like, oh, my gosh, my sexuality is complex, my wife's sexuality is complex, and then you start to realize, like, as you get into conversations with people willing to be transparent and vulnerable and honest, their sexuality is complex, and you realize, like, we've, we've created these arbitrary constructs as a society, and we're doing all we can to fit in them. And in reality, all of us collectively and individually uh, want to at least talk about and think about our sexuality in different ways. And so now all of the things that are taboo become talkable, speakable. We're able to say them. And non-monogamy is one of those subjects that becomes really interesting because all of us are drawn to one degree or another towards single monogamous relationships with people or wanting something different than that and then and then within our relationship trying to navigate that with a person who doesn't hold the exact same ground we do so there's my two cents it's been interesting because kelsey and i have been talking about this um a lot lately and she she can't understand the curiosity that that i am having and i told her i said i'm curious about lots of things me being curious about how non-monogamy works is no different than me being curious about uh, astrology or, you know, how gardens grow or any of the the myriad of things that interest me. Um, I, I like learning and I like being able to understand other people's perspective and how they make things work. So that's my two cents. Um, so River, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got started in this and what, what just maybe some basic terminology and then whatever you want to talk about. Oh my, oh my, no pressure whatsoever. Um, my name's River. That is a nickname. I've been given that nickname probably my whole life. And I think it was given to me because um, I'm pretty easygoing. I really enjoy feeling the flow of a room, feeling the energy of people I hang out with. Um, and being easygoing, it's pretty awesome. And people like that and my ego is stroke is stroked and I feel really important and pretty and smart and all of those things. But then something happens and I have discomfort or frustration or angst. And then I'm truly like a river in as far as when those barriers build up, I explode. And there's this erosion and then there's this clean surface again. So I feel like others had given me this nickname and it was a perfect fit because 
I really don't like discomfort. And when I talk about discomfort, I'm talking about my inner battle with myself, the conversations with myself, what, what brings me to contentment or tranquility, which is so funny because I've lived outside the country and in Mexico, they use the word tranquilo. And it doesn't mean what Americans think tranquil is. Tranquilo is more like a mood or a feeling or something like that. Um, and I think that has always been my innate purpose is to be comfortable and to understand and work with others comfortably. Um, I think the question was more like, how did I become this way? Or how did I start being non-monogamous? Um, I had an unusual socialization. I kind of like to use the phrase um, non-traditional childhood or alternative childhood because a lot of times when I talk about my childhood, people feel it was a terrible thing and a bad thing and many things about my childhood were socially bad. But what came from having this alternative childhood was my socialization was completely different then I'd say 98% of women that I interact with and have known over my lifetime. So I believe that I have always, always been more tribal and polyamorous. And I actually don't even think that polyamory fits me. It's just the best word I can find that other people may understand my association and my connection that I strive to have with other people, be it sexually or not sexually. Um, I love attachment. I love connection. I love getting to know someone and feeling like our souls connect in some, some sort of way where we understand each other and celebrate each other. Um, I was married for 25 years. And in that time, I practiced monogamy. I was in a very um, strict religious household. And I enjoyed that coming from my non-traditional childhood. I crave that. I like structure. I liked having a partner that, um, kind of gave me the stability and the, oh my, I don't even know how to put that in context, but I liked the brick and mortar house that we created. We were perfect partners in raising this family and our, and I, I think 90% of that was this facade or ego or something that had developed in my childhood of thinking, ooh, a real family does this and a real family does that and mom does this and dad does that. And at the same time that I was loving my life and celebrating my partnership with my, um, my husband at the time, I actually hate the word ex-husband because he's an amazing man. And if I use the word ex, it makes it sound like there was something wicked or broken or, or the reason we're not married anymore was because he did something wrong or he was flawed or I really don't think that that was the, the thing with us. I feel like we had a phenomenal awesome and now I live a different awesome. I'm on a different path and I get to be authentic and myself all of the time. Um, I really feel like now I'm rambling. <laughs> um, no, I, I love, I love the insights and I love, um, what you said about, um, your description of non-monogamy, that it's not just, um, a sexual relationship that you're looking for. It's just connection in general. And I, I think that there's a lot of misconception around non-monogamy or polyamory or whatever you want to use. Um, and so I love that you're just looking for connecting 
One thing that's kind of interesting about monogamy is that our social constraints that have always been established in the state, you know, religiously or governmentally, it's property, it's ownership, your partner, you own your partner, you own the house, you get to have insurance, you get to do all of these things that are technically more legally binding and monetarily, um, or even not just all monetarily, hey, that's my wife, that's my husband, I get to dictate how they behave in a certain situation. I am the boss. And um, although that actually is kind of exciting sometimes to be in charge and to have all ownership, I learned very, very young that either I'm very prideful or um, non-connective in the fact that I only want to be with people that really want to be with me and be with the person that I feel safe to share with them. So I wonder, you know, I think about, I have these conversations with myself all the time. I wonder if this is my flaw. Is this a society flaw? Is if I've done something or said something in a social setting that is out of context where I get, you know, the reactions of, awe or shock, sometimes I love that because it spears a conversation where I go, why? Why does it have to be that way? And usually when people talk about non-monogamy, they really think that non-monogamy is you get to have sex with anybody you want, which for me, when I think about ethical non-monogamy, it gives me the opportunity to search after things that I'm curious about or I want to know. And just because I have the opportunity in my relationship that I have now with my primary partner, um, it allows me to even think about what I don't know, where in the normal social constraint of a monogamous relationship, you are not allowed to have, um, and that's such a generalization, you know, um, as being allowed to do something or think something or what, what brings on shame? You know, I think a lot of the times 90% of the things we do not talk about, we do not talk about them because we have these shame barriers, these barriers that in our mind, we like, Oh, Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Oh no, that's wrong. And for me, I think I have this old charging personality that goes, why is it wrong? You're not the boss of me. I can do what I want, which as a bratty, bratty, um, childish um, voice, it's actually a really true voice that I've allowed to have say in my life. And I think most people quiet that voice. Yeah, I think that you're right in that we all get to have what we want with obviously the the caveat that we don't go out and and hurt people right like like society makes these judgments about what about what is right and wrong and there's this shame that comes in and in reality so long as we're not hurting somebody we each should have a right to chase down the things that we want and desire and uh we have curiosity about i love that word that you said earlier curiosity we should have a permission from from ourselves as well as uh, from the world around us, which we don't at all times, 
to go seek after things and to try new things and to experience new things so long as we're not hurting someone. So River, just a a question. So let's say um, you've got a partner that's completely averse to the idea of um, even exploring this topic. Do you have any suggestions on how to open up the conversation and help create some safety and, and like, where do you even begin? I guess is my question. I think with that, I'd have to ask what's the topic like in a general non-monogamy or the topic of what am I allowed to do? Uh, Maybe both. I think that it really has to start with a lot of questions because what I have found Um, Sometimes it's easier women to women when we converse that I say something and you hear it and you hear what I mean. But in couples, it doesn't matter your sex. If you say something and they don't hear what you mean because there might be a, a defense of protection that they're wearing or even somehow the way we say something, we want to protect them and we don't really say what we're meaning. We kind of just dance around the the conversation, hoping that the implied information will be understood correctly. Um, I think, and I believe in being direct, but more than that, I believe in being kind. So you can be direct when you have a conversation with someone and say, a lot of times it's more, I, I wonder, I feel, I don't understand. I would like to know more is the, and a lot of times when someone does not want to talk about non-monogamy, they don't want to talk about bills. They don't want to talk about their childhood or their past or things that make them angry. It's really just the protection protection facade of this is scary. This probably will produce pain. I don't believe I want to do this. When in actuality, sometimes we find that if we are a little uncomfortable, that we get to grow, that we might have better connections. Sometimes the best, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but what about makeup sex? How phenomenal it can makeup sex be when you had a dis, you know, contention with your partner and then you get the energy of connection and intimacy back. It's such a celebration to be able to go, oh, this wasn't working, but now this is working better, and you celebrate that. Yeah, makeup sex is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's really good. I don't like the fighting that like leads up to that, but afterwards, I'm not complaining. It, it almost makes the fight worth it. <laughs> well, I, maybe yeah, it can. It can, which is so funny because as a redheaded Irish woman, I love. Um, competition and I love sparring be it mental sparring or conversations I really really love fighting I do not like contention so a lot of times when you have conversations with people you can have those conversations where you have your side and they have their side and it could be um, amicable in the fact that you're not being disrespectful and if you've set up the parameters of your conversations to be safe in the fact that you're not attacking, sometimes, I mean, that's really exciting to be able to, to know that, um, and that's what I think the, the biggest hope or is that we find joy with our partners, our primary partners, or the people that we interact with most, or that mean the most to us, 
are the ones that we've made a commitment to be ourselves with the most, to be able to accept them the most, to um, build conversations and I want to say evolve, maybe just more enriched connections. Yeah. I want to go back for a moment. I want to ask you, because I, I don't know if we got the whole story out. So you were in this marriage for, you said, how many years? 25. 25 years. And it was it was very rigid. It was very, in terms of uh, how you lived out this aspect. And then, you know, here you are today, you're, you're non-monogamous. Did you, did that marriage end with you knowing you wanted to do this different thing and and if not like after the marriage ended how did you approach entering essentially what they call the lifestyle um it's so funny because i um, I, I have always been i have always been this searching for connection person um when I was very young and in high school, I was so baffled by the fact that I could have a boyfriend. But if I had a boyfriend, I was not allowed to interact or have strong friendships with other boys. And to me, that was so strange. And come to find out, wow, that means I'm polyamorous. But I had no context or syntax to use to define what I needed, what I wanted, what I thrived on, which was just connection. Um, and then you jump into my marriage and I was, you know, and I was fully invested, which meant I was authentic to a point. So when I had interactions with my children and my daughters, um, it sounds so funny, my freedom, like, I mean, we could get into nudity and things in the household that are in religious context, very taboo to be naked or to be unclothed or allow someone else to see you unclothed or those kinds of things. Um, I still was that free, hippy-dippy um, person inside that marriage, but I behaved fully monogamous in the fact that my interactions with others, with other males, were entirely non-sexual, um, very limited. But when I first was separated and trying to figure out what was wrong and what was broken and why I'd come to this point of a change, um, I had actually had a near-death experience, which I realized that my body had been wearing down and maybe becoming ill from stress I had been hiding because I didn't recognize the fact of not being authentic. 24 hours in the day, I was hiding something bigger than I realized. And my body took that stress on. and. Um, created a really bad challenge. But when I was separated, um, I only really could heal with the fact was what was my part? What had I allowed for our marriage, for our relationship to um, become destructive or break down? And really, I was tired of playing my part, reading the script and doing the things that we had established that I had allowed and enjoyed um, all of the time before I became ill. Um, 
I don't know. Does that even come close to answering your question? You know, no. So uh, it, it does. Like I completely understand. Mikel completely understands. Like when when you're on this side of life, that you start to realize that you lived an in an inauthentic life in order to make others happy, and now the time comes where you start to be real, so that you can you can you can be happy, and. That plays out in a thousand venues of our lives. It plays out in uh, every little piece and part that we used to hide. But sexuality is such a dynamic um, issue. It's such a. It, it's like the of all the ways in which we're different than another human, sexuality seems the most risky. And and so to go from living in the box that society told you to live in to busting out and going, I'm going to do this my way, and I'm just going to be happy even if the world isn't okay with it. Uh, I think it takes a lot of bravery. Yeah. One of the things that happened when I was looking back over my life and over my marriage and why I felt that I wasn't content there anymore and what needed to change and what I required or what was going to bring me joy. I have a hard time with the word happiness because it's so, it's such a create a pretty created facade that the media has told us what happiness is. I kind of seek joy and contentment and that's moment by moment. I'm feeling great. I'm not feeling great. Why am I not feeling great? Why am I allowing the situation to affect me where I'm not feeling awesome? Um, I kind of love Barney from, uh, I actually can't think of that show that is. You know, Barney was about starting awesome or being awesome. Um, he was very inspiring to me is how audacious and ballsy was about being himself. And when I first became separated, I realized looking back that the very biggest flaw in my marriage was my fault. I held my tongue. I would think something or feel something and squash it. It didn't fit in that context. It didn't fit in that mortared house that we had created. So I wasn't allowed to feel it. I wasn't allowed to say it. And so when I started branching out and doing some dating or interacting with other people, I made a rule for myself. And I'm a really strong-minded person and intense and over the top. And so when I made this rule for myself, it was actually really uncomfortable at first. And then it became really fun. And the rule that I made for myself was, if I thought it, I would say it. Well, the funny thing was, most of my dating, I was working, I had, I still had some young kids at home while they were teenagers. Um, so most of my dating practice and my interacting with, with, others outside my own, you know, after my marriage was online dating, social contexts and different um, apps and things like that. So it made it really easy for me to follow that rule. I think it, I have to say it, they're probably not going to like it. It's probably going to make them uncomfortable, but it's funny as hell. Holy heck, being overly truthful is the most entertaining thing that I have ever done in my life. And now it could be a negative thing, but it's so much fun because it it actually puts a fire on most conversations. If I think it, I say it. And I say it nicely or kindly, but I mean, a lot of the questions I got in dating were, what do you want? And I'd say everything. 
What does that mean? Everything. I want to be present. I want to be accepted. I want to be celebrated. Plus, of course, I want a million dollars and travel the world. Okay, just because I want everything doesn't mean I get to have everything. I want everything, but being able to say what I want and maybe practice those things of learning how to say what I want and receive what I want with my interactions kind of rolls into non-monogamy or in my relationships. I want all these things. If you are in a monogamous relationship and you have curiosities outside of a monogamous relationship, even being able to voice what those wants are, just because they're curiosity, many things we think we want, we really don't want. The idea of being able to discuss and figure out if we really want it in our lives um, is kind of where the gray area is. I think a lot of people think, oh, you're discussing this. You're going to run away and be happy with someone else. That goes back to fear and ego. When a lot of times you're just wondering. It's kind of like being able to have these fantasies, be it sexually or not sexually, out loud. I love that. that just because you're talking about it or curious about it or want to know more information doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to do it. It's just trying to understand and, and learn more. I think it's it helps you be more self-aware of, of what it is you actually want. And it helps lessen the shame and you know the judgment that you place on yourself just by being able to verbalize it out loud mm-hmm. and have the conversation. I think that that's beautiful. A lot of us that come from these strong, overbearing religious households, the conversations, we, they had so much power over our personalities, our psyche, our conversations with ourselves. Um, so much shame was brought into our own thoughts with kind of like dipping your toe into hell just by thinking that you saw a blurb of porn and that was pretty to you oh my gosh, you're shamed and going to hell. Do you know what I mean? Where, wow, that was total sidetrack. You guys edit this, right? We're okay with porn. Let's talk about porn too. Okay. Um, I am an artist. And that was one of the things that was so bizarre to my ex-husband was how beautiful bodies were to me and how... um, not shamed I was. Um, I grew up in the church or a very strong religious household, sort of. And so um, we went to church on Sundays. I got to partake of the parts that I agreed with and I liked, but I didn't have any kind of reinforcement in my household other than anything, the input that I accepted myself, which makes for a strange, strange science experiment. I mean, I think compared to other households or other ladies or people that I talk to. But with porn or nudity, I had no shame with that. I mean, I barely wore clothes. I grew up in Georgia in the swamp. I live next to a junkyard. 90% of my time was playing outside and constructing forts and playing with animals. And my mom was a horticulturalist. So we had a crazy garden that if I ate, it probably came out of the garden. Um, 
I don't remember eating unless I prepared the food for, um, for myself or my mom. Um, but in that hippie upbringing, I didn't have shame to the human body, to nudity, to, and I always wondered if that's part of how I became an artist was the fact that everything I see, the textures are so beautiful, including the human body in any form, in every form. I think that you're super lucky because I think that there's a lot of us, um, especially I think a lot of our podcast listeners who had the opposite, especially growing up in the religious system that we did, which I'm thinking is probably similar in some ways to what you grew up in. But I know for myself, um, growing up the way that I did, there was a ton of shame about the, the human body. And, you know, I used to love taking off my clothes as a kid, but was heavily shamed for doing so that river (laughs) um how how so I know that it's been a little bit easier for you maybe to add to to navigate some of these difficult topics or um conversations and I know you've got experience in in having conversations with other couples about how to navigate this this journey or or even the conversation so can you maybe pick three things to kind of get the ball rolling um, in order to open up the conversation with couples or with partners or with other human beings about one, how do you, how do you have the conversation and um, how do you even discover that you're poly yourself? Like maybe there's a listener who is listening to this for the first time and they have no idea that they might even be curious. Hmm. Um, the first thing that I thought of when you were asking these questions, um, was one thing, the second thing that I learned while I was separated from my, from my, my married partner was that I was going to trust that when I interacted with other people and they said something, I was just going to believe it which kind of gives you a scarlet a hair kind of idea. Um, people have always accused me of being a dreamer. Um, scarlet O'Hara decided that she was just going to think about bad things tomorrow. Well, when someone speaks, I don't think that to have a healthy communication with anyone, at the second that someone says something that you fall back on the judgment, oh, that was good, oh, that was bad, oh, I'm shame them, shame me, whatever. I think that... Choosing to believe what someone says when they say it is huge. A lot of times we hear something from a partner and we kind of do this little dance. What do they mean? What do they really mean? When they say that, they really mean this. And if they say that right now, that means that last week when they said that this was, uh, that I was attractive or this, they don't really mean it all the time. So So, being in the moment and deciding to believe someone is huge in making these conversations work. Okay. So stay out of story, especially the stories in your own head. Don't make up stories about what the other person is saying. Just take it what, take what they're saying at face value. At face value. And if you get to that point where you're like, Oh, or you get that discomfort when they've said something, that means that you need more clarification. Please ask more questions. Ask more questions. I like that. Ask more questions. If you are uncomfortable, I would bet that you do not understand their meaning. If you are uncomfortable, because 
and I'm, I'm only speaking conversations that you're having with someone who is your most significant other, the person, your home spot. So your primary partner, the person that you're building your life with and is the most significant in your life. Um, so if you're uncomfortable by what they're saying, there's probably some un- misunderstanding or fear because you know at your hardest heart that they want what's best for you and they love you and they've committed to being with you and want your, they want you to win too. To be in a healthy relationship, you both win. You both get what you want. You both become better people because you're together. You push each other. You make sure that the other person knows in private when they're being an asshat so that they don't embarrass themselves in public the next time you guys go out. Um, That's your safe zone. And so if you're uncomfortable with what you're talking about, you're probably, I think just the belief of deciding they don't mean to hurt me. When they talk, they do not mean to hurt me. So I must need to ask more questions so that they may find joy. Because my biggest goal is for the people that I interact with to be able to, to celebrate them and to have them achieve their best selves. So here's a here's another follow-up question and it kind of got me thinking when you said home like your home person um I know that in conversations that Kelsey and I've had and in in just um talking to other people the question often comes up as well why why am I like your fallback when when there's when you're interested in other things does that make sense like they they almost feel like they're second best or that that if other things don't work out that they're kind of your your last resort so earlier today my primary partner my you know my home base and i were talking about another question that Mikkel had texted me that we thought we might discuss and it was talking about scheduling scheduling sex times, scheduling intimacy, scheduling those kinds of things, even when you were, so we, it kind of branched on the fact that we were talking about scheduling with other part, with other play, with ever other playtime. So we kind of, when we talk about having interactions, either sexually or non-sexually with other people outside of our household, we call that playtime. Um, and so scheduling playtime we were, I was saying, how do you establish the conversation that if you're going to schedule playtime with someone else and your plans, so every other Friday, we can see and play or hang out or do whatever we want with other people on every other Friday. Well, a Friday shows up and our partner's plans are, they get ditched, right? Life happens. People have kids. They have responsibilities. They get People get uncomfortable or like, oh, that sounded like fun, but nah, I don't want to. Um, They change their mind. And so we were saying that if that had happened, that that doesn't mean that that negates the partner's day, you know, play day, play date as well. Just because you got canceled on doesn't mean that we have to play together. And the fun, I mean, that you have to give up your plans. And so what you were saying being home base made you second space or second 
to somebody else to somebody else mm-hmm. is not necessarily the case. I think the biggest thing in being ethically non-monogamous is a hundred percent the communication. And in the communication, if you actually get to the point where you're like, Hey, we're going to hang out with other people. We may or may not play with other people. There is a serious, um, list of do's and don'ts and rules and safeties that are in place for each partner's feelings for their health and safety. Um, Those are conversations that are established. And because they are your home base and they matter the most, they give consent and they have, you know, equal ownership of this rule book. So let me just kind of make sure that I'm understanding things correctly, River. So prior to any, any, exploration outside of your your primary relationship there's a lot of conversation to establish what the rules are what the boundaries are what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and i think i remember from a previous conversation that you talked about um both partners sitting down and and making a list kind of of like this is where i'm willing to go this is what makes me super uncomfortable and then the two of you sit down and figure out okay where's the middle ground yes whatever activity or or conversation makes us slightly uncomfortable, can we navigate that in that kind of gray zone while still maintaining connection with your primary partner and doing things that make both of you a little bit uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I understanding that correctly? I believe so. I believe so. Okay. I think one thing that's understood that it's kind of like the sexy power that you're giving your partner is that you both hold a stop card. Hold wait, hold on. This is this is not necessarily. I'm not feeling like I thought I was going to feel when we had established this opportunity or this adventure that we're on. And let's take a pause. Let's regroup. Let's talk again, and then you move forward, or you don't. Um, And I have had a lot of practice, but we had already. When we met, we were set up um, by people in the lifestyle. So it's so bizarre. It's like the most perfect. Um, yeah, I feel very blessed in the fact that I showed up and hung out with a gentleman that knew who he was. You know, a lot of times in dating, you're like, hey, we're going to hang out a little while. And this is me with no makeup. This right. is me on my period. This is me when things are really great. This is me when it's not. Well, when you throw in the fact that you might be a naughty person, a naughty girl, those are like totally over the top. When I was dating, a lot of times we would go on dates and I would say, I'm probably not the girl for you. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're fun. You're exciting. You're, and I'm like, I am not monogamous. I may choose to promise to be monogamous, but I am not. So if that's not going to work for you, I am not the girl for you. Um, and that actually was really great barrier because I could push people away so far so fast because I was not the right girl for them. But when I met it was, oh boy, we're on a, a truthful level playing field from the second we met. The fact that he's like, oh, I'm, you know, we kind of joke that in our relationship that I'm the naughty one and he's the boy. 
you know, of course, those are generalizations in coupledom, but there's something to be said for that because it's very few ladies are totally um, in, uninhibited in the fact that they're not or they're able to share with the world the fact that I do what I do because it, it brings me, it pleases me. I uh, I want to jump in here and ask. So, as I look at maybe like our listeners from their point of view, and my gut tells me because I think this is true in most relationships, there is one party that is more interested in something that's perceived by society as non-normative, and then there's the other half which wants to be more conservative. And as you, as you practice this lifestyle, there has to be pros and cons, right? We all know the, the opportunity to have sex, which is enjoyable with more than one person is, is the pros of that are the, the new experience, the novelty of it, the, a a different person's skin, a different person's body, a different person's reaction, um, the chance to, to share this positive experience and, to share yourself with someone else who's sharing themselves with you. I get that. But there also has to be negatives too. And so I want to I want to represent kind of the more conservative side in this conversation and go like, "Hey, whoa, whoa, slow down. This isn't all positive. This isn't all good. There has to be some things that uh that hurt, some things that cause tension, some things that cause frust- frustration in the home-based relationship as you go out and live this li- this lifestyle." Maybe speak to that for just a moment. Oh, definitely. Not everything is awesome and comfortable. In that context, they're usually, and it's funny because it kind of, with the couples I've visited with and talked with, it kind of flip-flops. It's almost like the sun and the moon and the energy and how couples, at you know, in a month's time, they may flip-flop in the fact of, ooh, that's interesting, and no, 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 that's not going to work for me. Um, And a lot of times, once the conversation is established, that happens a lot, where they're like, ooh, we're both on the same playing field, we have our rules established, or we don't. A lot of times, it flip-flops in the fact that a lot (laughs) – I've met – and it actually happens most of the time when you are more adventurous, more playful partner in the couple is asking for these things and come to find out if they move into the zone where they get to experiment with others or invite others to their play or um, in most couples I've talked to, it's very unusual for people to go, oh, yep, we have an open relationship. We each are going to go play with other people sometimes you get into the part where it's like, ask no questions, I'll tell nothing. And you, one partner that's not comfortable with it just kind of lives with it. I want to be with this person. And so they've decided to allow that person to do what they want. Where in most cases of couples I know, they really kind of like dip their toe in very slowly. We're going to put ourselves in places where other couples are like-minded. Other couples um, kind of show them the ropes where maybe they just play together in a um, voyeuristic setting where I kind of joke that it's side by side play 
where people are maybe sexually active next to other people. It's kind of, I, I joke that, I mean, there's nothing better than live porn for foreplay. And I will say in this, in where I'm at right now today, that everything I do outside of my own home base is foreplay. It's exciting to get to see who I am with other people. I know when you date other people or date multiple people, even when we're young or even now, you get to see a different mirror. When you look in the mirror and see yourself, you get to meet another facet of who you are. So I don't I know that you cannot force a couple a person and a couple to do what they're not comfortable with. Um and so I don't know if a conversation doesn't evolve, the funny thing is there's a timeline, you know, people are thinking, Hey, we're talking about this. And that means this weekend, we're going to go play with other people. Pretty sure that's never going to happen. Um, or have an expectation that there's a timeline that we've talked about this. So it's going to be resolved because there's a lot of yo-yoing that goes on when you have these conversations where each day, each person feels or interprets something different to the situation. So if anything, it's way more difficult or challenge, not difficult. It's more challenging than mainstream monogamy, unless you place that between dying inside a monogamous relationship, yourself dying slowly because you're not being pushed or adventurous or alive and present in that, that relationship. Yeah, yeah. So there's when when I think about the two big is my wife and I have had conversations um about like what would this what does this look like in others? What and then talking openly about our own sexuality. What comes up for both of us is this recognition that in both of us is this insecurity of allowing our partner to be their fullest self because it, it seems to mean something about us. And, and so we get insecure and we also get jealous, right? There's jealousy. And I listened recently to Aubrey Marcus and his wife. I forget his wife's name, unfortunately, but the two of them had a conversation about their non-monogamous lifestyle and they both were for it. They both were enjoying it. And yet they both admitted that there were times that their partner was out having an experience, having playtime, and they were laying on the floor crying at home because for whatever reason, their jealousy just came up at that moment or their insecurity came up at that moment. And so I'm curious, as you're living the lifestyle of non-monogamy, whatever that looks like, and again, there's lots of different definitions for that, but something that's other than, non, other than monogamy, it, it feels like even in our best and healthiest selves, sometimes jealousy and insecurity are going to poke their heads. And I'm curious if you've experienced that or if... And if you have, like, how did you deal with that? How did you confront your ego and move on from that, continuing to kind of explore the space? Oh, definitely. I definitely get jealous. I get jealous about the food in the refrigerator and who ate it. So, of course, I get jealous. But the one thing that I have learned, for me, myself, when I become jealous, I feel like that is a flaw in my character because I don't want to become jealous. I want to celebrate my, my partner's joy. They're evolving. Um, 
part of being polyamorous for me is the fact that I think it's pompous for me to believe that I personally can meet all of the needs and, and desires of my partner. So I want them to have everything. I love them so much and I'm so connected with them that I want to celebrate them and have everything they want. Well, sometimes that might come in a size six and be six foot tall and be blonde. I mean, seriously, if you're going to go outside your own household, a lot of times you're looking for, you know, the sports car. You're looking for arm candy or you're looking for a dynamic where your ego is stroked. So, of course, I get jealous. But a lot of times the word jealousy is just the capstone of what I'm really feeling. Am I fearful? Um, is my ego hurt? Is she cuter than me? Um, is she funnier, smarter than me? Oh, wait a minute. I don't have to. It's kind of like the discussion again with myself. I don't have to be the best of best and better than someone else. And it, a lot of that goes back to the faith of believing our home base, our home structure, our commitment is as valuable, I'm sorry, is more valuable than the playtime they're having right then. Um, yeah, I just, I hear what you're saying, but I also, um, for me, like I want to be the one that fulfills my partner's needs. I want to, and it, you know, it is ego. I don't want them to have to go somewhere else to fulfill those needs. Um, and so I understand what you're saying, um, but inside that's causing some tension I'm having to process that so I'll let Bill ask his question oh but I do like your comment Mikkel which is we want to be all things to our partner and yet we somehow intrinsically understand inside of us that our partner doesn't fulfill all needs within us and and so I do I think that takes some time to kind of sit with that and 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 then I think it is ego-based and um I think time and working with ego are really the only two ways to kind of delve into that and start to let go of those pieces. But my question, uh, River, is in this light, you know, so if you're going to live a non-monogamous lifestyle, you're going to have experiences with people, and those experiences bring up two deep concerns for me. One is STIs. And the other is an unforeseen pregnancy, which both of those are problematic in their own ways. Um, maybe your thoughts on people as they live this lifestyle, how they manage those two risks. Um, I think that goes down to one thing. You know, I needed to add something. I don't want anything I've said to reveal the fact that someone would misunderstand me and thinking that every couple should be non-monogamous many times that's not going to fit for a couple but inside your own couple inside your own home base or your your safe zone with your partner having the conversations about things that you're curious about um Mikkel, if you are going to want to be everything that your partner needs, then it would be understanding what your partner needs and wants. Then you might get into other playful things or role play or, um, and I'm not saying that it's not possible to have, to be the all that your partner wants, but if, if you don't ask the questions, you don't know what they want. So back to the STIs um, or STDs, any of that. Um, 
that goes back to the home base as far as the rules. Um, if you are at a place where you have conversations and you trust your own healthy, happy relationship, that you are trusting your partner that they're going to wear condoms, that they're only going to um, be active with people that have been tested, that respect their own bodies and are safe and with the couples that they play with. The funny thing is when you play with other, it's very rare that you'll meet someone at this stage in their life that is dying to go to a club and hook up with a stranger with no questions asked. Most of us have matured enough to know that there are way too many um, dynamite bombs that could go off in that scenario. The idea of talking about it and fantasizing about it sounds awesome. But the real life of it, when you're in a strong, healthy relationship, you love that. And you're not going to do anything to damage that. Um, I know that unplanned pregnancies happen. And I would imagine that that would have to be between the couple if that did happen. But if you're using condoms or um, it must be said that not all sexual play or even flirting with other people has to be intercourse. A lot of times people will play with other people as the foreplay. They might have sexy dancing and party together and maybe there's some kitchen kissing and caressing and, and um, intimate touch without any intercourse. So if, if pregnancy is a, is a real fear or, dilemma for that couple, that would probably mean that there is no ejaculation with any partners. A lot of rules, I mean, a lot of couples I know that they could play with anybody they want when we're all together at parties or playing with other people, but you don't finish. Um, I guess that would be its own little podcast of all the opportunities or rules that could be discussed. But yeah, I... I see that too. The the only thing I think I run into with that though is so let's let's take it another step further and get into specifics. So let's say we say there's no intercourse or there's no finishing or we're going to wear condoms. That's all good and dandy, but the other act. So if somebody's going to say like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna allow oral sex. Well, oral sex comes with its own risks, and 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 on top of that, right, there are preventative measures. So for instance, if you're going to perform oral sex, if a man is going to perform oral sex on a woman or a woman's going to perform oral sex on a man, to still use a condom when it goes one direction, or a dental dam if it goes the other. But on some level, too, that takes some of the excitement or fun out of it, right? And and so people are trying to negotiate, like, how do we do this safely, but also not make it so robotic or so full of barriers that we still are able to have fun and I'm just curious how, how, for instance, the two of you or other couples navigate that space. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that dental dams are not sexy. Um, it's, about the, it's about the unsexiest thing there is. If I had to put saran wrap between me and another woman, well, as I'm, we're making out and I'm doing that, that's about the most ridiculous thing there is. Well, and even more than that, for me personally... I am heightened by my senses, the the way that something feels, the way that something tastes, the way that something smells. The very worst smell in the world to me is a condom. But I have negotiated and promised that if I play with someone outside of my own household and my primary person, that we will always use condoms. Um, I put up with that 
or I don't play. I think it, I mean, that goes back to each individual negotiation that you have with your partner. And when you, when you create a, like, I want to say a tribe or your friendship group or your play groups, you kind of evolve in that too with other couples that you hang out. Like we have lifestyle friends that are our most favorite friend and we almost spend every weekend together, but we have actually never played together. We have never touched each other. I kind of, we kind of joke around that it's birthday and I definitely owe him a blowjob, but because timing or kids or this or that, it's never happened for me and my partner, we care most about the chemistry. And so sometimes just the excitement, the talk, the, I don't know, the adventure of it all, of being outside the norm and testing our boundaries is sexy enough that we don't do that. So I think it's case by case. I definitely only want to be with partners that care about their own bodies and their their partner's bodies that I would not want us to share anything. Um, one thing that I would say in this lifestyle that you definitely should be getting tested. If you're playing with other people, you should be tested regularly. Um, which, you know, that goes into another dilemma in the fact that if somebody comes back positive, um, we've had friends that that's happened to, and it took them a while to figure out how it had happened. And, um, and in actuality, they received, um, gonorrhea from playing with a, a play partner's toy. So it's not even just person to person. It can be with toys. So not to be scary, but please be careful, I guess, would be what I would say. <laughs> there's there's a lot of things on my mind. Um, and so maybe, maybe a follow-up question. Um, when you have gone out and, and played, how do you then reconnect with your partner um, and maintain that relationship? Um, in the kink lifestyles, they BDSM and things like that, they use this term called aftercare. And even in most monogamous relationships, there is this talking time, cuddling time, or regrouping that happens. We're like, oh my gosh, that was exciting. That was fun. I like that. I was uncomfortable when I think it's back to the discussion. Um, for me and my partner, when we've played with others, I think our most successful or exciting times that we've played with other people has been, um, believe it or not, for me, one of the most sexiest things is watching him please another woman. It's I kind of joke about me having the best toy in the play in the in the sandbox, and that my toy is so much fun that I want everyone else, and it's ego, I want everyone else to know that I have the very coolest, best toy, and I want to share because I'm so proud of him. I mean, in essence, it's a little bit ridiculous, but in the conversation afterwards, our foreplay, it is hot as crazy knowing that he was amazing and it was sexy and I was turned on and those kinds of things. Um, he does tell me that he likes it. I think other, I guess it doesn't matter what he likes or what I like in general, when people are turned on and they talk about it, it's also exciting. 
Yeah, I think we were made for some degree of this. Again, I'll leave it up to every couple to negotiate what that means for them. But I can speak for my own marriage. In my own marriage, my wife and I both have, it's safe to have connection and levels of intimacy with people around us, to sit next to someone and hold their hand or put your arm around them or to rub their knee. Um, And when we go out and we have a chance to be more of ourselves and to connect with people around us, when that experience is over and my wife and I go home, it feels it feels like there's something better about us in those moments. Like we've had the chance to be more honest and vulnerable um, out and about. And then when we come back together at home in, our, in the privacy of our own home, our connection seems to be stronger. And so as you seem to be pointing to, these experiences do come with moments of jealousy. They come with moments of insecurity. And those things sometimes show up and they hurt. But there also seems to be an opportunity for greater connection when you and your primary partner are back home after having had this experience. Oh, wow. You articulated that so precisely. Um, And I I use the word foreplay because that excitement, that adventure, that adrenaline, that ego pride boost is sexy. It's um, it turns you it turns me on it turns my partner on it's adventurous and sometimes if you're not even interacting sexually with other people we kind of go we play this game everywhere like um i would not call myself bi but i'm definitely very comfortable and attractive and get excited about um my interactions with other women and so sometimes when we're out and around, I will see a really beautiful or sexy or dynamic personality or woman that I joke that I'm like, oh, you need to hang out with her or let me wingman, let me see if we could get her, you know, let's talk to them. And I think the biggest thing about this, the adventure keeps it non-boring. Monogamy can be boring. Being in your partnership and being committed to someone can become boring and the adventure is in dating is the chase do they think i'm smart can i get them to see me can i get them to appreciate and see the real me um can i wear this mask for a while and can i enjoy that adventure um i all of it really for me is just the dynamic and the energy that's created is different than the norm, and that excites me. Well, Bill, I was having a hard time waking up this morning. You know how it goes. You stay up too late partying or hanging out with friends. And then you've got to get up early to record a podcast. So what do we do in those instances? And on every other day of the week? Coffee. Red Roca coffee. It helps you and me as we're awakening in the morning. My favorite brew is Heathens or Good Mojo. And sometimes I like it hot. In the summertime, every once in a while, I'll drink it cold. Red Roca Coffee is a small family-owned business here in the United States. If you need a cup of joe to help you awaken, give Red Roca Coffee a try. We're sure you'll like it. We're sure you'll like it. That's Red Roca, R-O-C-A, coffee.com. When you place your order, put in the code AWAKE. A-W-A-K-E. You'll get a 10% discount, and you'll get free shipping on orders over $30. Check out Red Roca Coffee today. Again, Red Roca Coffee. 
for those times when you need help awakening. So is there an approach to, like, how would you have a conversation with um, someone that you're interested in about an adventure? And maybe how do you navigate that? Um, humor? Humor is the very best vi- um, tool, I find. And then, like, that over audacity of being overly truthful. Um, half the time the conversations are the fun part. You're like, um, I might uh, see if I can think of an example. A lot of times some things I might say was, have you ever considered hanging out with or playing with a couple? I mean, just throwing stuff out there, the discomfort you can create or the fun laughs that you get in a conversation with a stranger can be enough. Maybe you are a totally monogamous couple, but you get to flirt with other people outside and bring that energy home. That's pretty hot too. Yeah, I know that there's been times where my wife and I, we've gone out dancing and we've had the fun with each other of dancing up on somebody or flirting with someone, right? And so we've never taken them back to a place. We've never had sex. We've never stepped uh, outside of living this monogamous life, but we have these safe conversations about what would be fun for you or what would be fun for me. And and then to interact at whatever degree both of you are comfortable or even slightly uncomfortable without person essentially violating their own their own ground, right? And so those things tend to be fun. And so while we're talking about non-monogamy, I think it's important for listeners to just realize, like, let's have the conversation about a thousand other facets of this. Masturbation, porn. Um, There are dynamics in marriages where people aren't even talking about the fact that it is normal and healthy for a human being to touch themselves. And, and all that goes along with that. There's shame and guilt around every one of these little corners, each one of these nooks of our sexuality. And while we're talking directly about non-monogamy, I think it applies to every one of these facets. I will say in my journey of discovering my own sexuality, often things that bring me excitement or get me hot or turn me on have been a surprise. Things that I discovered that I was like, Ooh, things that make me perk up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm shocking myself. And that's exciting. And also, you know, then it you kind of loop back and have a conversation with myself about, is that shameful? Is that okay? Am I allowed? And then I share those conversations with my partner. And the coolest part is the communication, to be authentic, to search for joy. I joke that I'm a hedonist because I really just want pleasure, and that's not true. I just want to be real and alive and accepted, and I think that's what everyone is looking for. And hopefully we get to have that in our own household and with our own favorite person and our best partners or our our safe zone. Yeah, I like the alive. I want to be alive. I, I like that. Um, and I think every couple and every human gets to decide what that looks like. But to to live inauthentic, to live hiding and shielding yourself, you're going to constantly feel suppressed and you're going to constantly have regrets. And I think finding ways to be more of yourself comes with feeling alive. I love that. 
One thing that I think when I look back at my regrets, my regrets, if I'm really being honest with myself, are when I've been unkind and when I have hidden myself. Those are my biggest regrets because those are the baselines of something I have done where I find shame and wrongdoing are those two innate things. I have protected my ego, I protected my face, or I have lashed out and defensive of fear and was cruel or mean. And if I, my personal goal is to strive against being those two things, cruel or unauthentic. Um, So for me, the vehicle happens to be, and I am blessed enough to have a partner or have been, had enough um, faith in myself to be authentic enough to choose a partner that celebrates that part of me um, is fabulous. So long-term, I mean, um, I, I think it's one thing for a couple to start opening up conversation for hey, this is who I am, this is what I want, these are my needs, uh, what are your wants, what are your needs, what is the ground you hold, uh, how can we both make space for each other to feel safe versus the other partner getting to explore more of who they are and, and their curiosity. And as that conversation takes place, there's this constant ebb and flow of trying something, talking about it. Was that comfortable? Was it not comfortable? Did that work? Did it not work? And everybody's going to do that and navigate that differently. But for you, for you guys, um, the long-term nature of this, is there are there times where you guys step back and go like, hey, let's just be us for six months? Or um, do you see the feasibility of this being a long-term arrangement um, between you and your and your home base? Uh, how, do, how does that kind of dynamic play out, the feasibility of living this lifestyle regularly or at intervals or maybe stopping at some point just to be the two of you for a while? Well, I think I – well, I'm a personality that lives in the moment. I definitely am logical and calculating and planning and live in the moment in the parameters that our home base is set up. Um, so thinking long-term, my long-term goal is that we get to be ourselves in our home base. Um, but actually if we were to break that down day by day or just weekly, um, we hardly ever play with other people. The more that we've opened it up and played with other people, the more that we actually have come together and enriched our own evolving um, relationship or love or connection, whatever words we want to use, um, over the longevity of it, I just never want to be broken. And broken would be where we don't get to be ourselves and question and um, look for adventure or cut back on our conversations or the ability for us to converse truthfully. Um, yeah, it's, I, to be truthful, I mean, non-monogamy sounds so awesome. It's like the, the adventure of sex vacation. It doesn't happen. The chemistry, the timing, 
the things are not as awesome, as beautiful as people on the outside might think that it is. Um, if your rule is that couples only play with couples, then that means that you actually have to have four beautiful people that hit it off chemistry wise and that everybody wants to play together. That is really rare. I mean, we joke about the unicorn. Having two unicorns in a coupledom to date other unicorns in a coupledom, it's, it's a dream. So um, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but the adventure and the seeking and the opportunity to find perfect chemistry and playful playmates or, or good connective playmates for that adventure is awesome. I, I don't know that I could see us stop looking, but we definitely take breaks. I uh, I wanted to ask a couple other little things, and I have to assume somewhere along the way, you or your part, your primary partner had what I would deem maybe a negative experience, like something transpires and you go like, ooh, I didn't like that. That, that made me really uncomfortable. That crossed, I didn't know it was a line, but now it crossed a line. And I know that in my wife and I's conversations, there is an expression of like, oh my gosh, I'm scared to death that if a line gets crossed that I didn't realize was a line, like there's no fixing it, there's no going back, there's something gets broken. And I'm curious if, if you've ever had a negative experience that crossed a line and how how the two of you recovered from that. Um, definitely. The one thing that I hate the phrase going back in this lifestyle Going back is not a thing. We should definitely look back, but you'll never be in the same place you were before the conversation. Whatever that conversation, you're in a new place. And hopefully that new place, you're creating a safe place that is allowing to go forward positively. So sometimes you have to retreat and join up together um, and kind of fix those wounds or figure out reestablish what was safe or comfortable. We've definitely, um, it's kind of like there's this phrase taking one for the team where I talked about that chemistry and that beautifulness where you get, you get two couples that want to play together and all four of them are sexy and beautiful and everyone's attracted to everyone else. Um, that doesn't happen very often. And so sometimes you, I have found that, no, not sometimes I'm pretty big headed. Um, once or twice I have, played with a couple or been in this situation where for me, I have chosen to kind of hang out with somebody that maybe wasn't the sexiest person that I was attracted to for the pleasure of my partner. And in that I received pleasure, pleasure because I was kind of checking something off the list or I don't know what the best way to say that is. So there is definitely discomfort along the way. Um, but I think part of that is with your own conversation that only falls. I mean, maybe for us, one of the rules is we're not allowed to take one for the team just because we want something fabulous for their partner. Doesn't mean that we're going to lower our comfort level so that they can have that. I did want to ask Mikkel, you're super quiet. How, what part are you? So are you most uncomfortable with that? I could hear your voice more. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not uncomfortable. I'm thinking a lot. Um, because I, I really have enjoyed the conversation. And what's got me thinking is you've mentioned, you know, just because you're thinking about it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do it or that you're going to act on it. And just 
your thoughts about um, just exploring, you know, even having the conversation about what is it that I want? What is it that I'm looking for? Maybe it is, maybe I don't know what it is I'm looking for, or I don't know what it is I want. Um, because I've spent so much of my life um, just not even thinking about anything in regards to sexuality or sex or pleasure. And so it's, it's opened up this whole new world of possibility, but it's also um, in some ways really scary to think about. So it's just, I'm, I'm just processing. There's so much that I'm thinking about, not only in my own life, but in my relationship and, and, um, you know, having the conversation about, um, pleasure, even within my relationship is something new for us. And so, like I said, it's just opening up a whole new dynamic and conversation and figuring not only myself out, but how our relationship works and, um, how to take care of my partner in the best way and, and those kinds of things. So hmm, I see, I think it's funny because I always joke that my mind is this rotating stairway of doors. And as I have strength or opportunity or need, I might open a door and think about the things that happen to be hidden behind that door. And depending on the script I've accepted or the lifestyle I'm living. Um, when I was living in my marriage, and I will tell you, I was happy and I chose that on purpose. It was just a lot of work. It was a lot of work to hold my tongue and live out that script that I really chose and I really wanted. Um, but as I open doors and kind of peek inside to see if I'm ready to open that door and think about it and question and see that part of myself or um, those pieces of me that I have not been able to look at before or had the strength to figure out, um, I kind of, it's a little joyous and super scary Um, A lot of times when I think about those different things and then I involve a partner and those discussions of opening up one of those doors, a lot of those doors I have not been able to open and look inside had it not been my partner to go, hey, there's a door here. Where does this go? What is it? And his pressing me to be, um, I don't know, big, to be strong enough or... Um, that my ego can handle the fact of whatever is behind that door, be it a kink or a fetish or a fear or um, I think the biggest, scariest doors are fear of opening the door. Yeah, just giving ourselves permission to even acknowledge that there's a door that it, that it exists and considering the possibility behind that door, I think um, it for me, it's just a matter of creating a lot of self-awareness and giving myself permission to think and feel the things that I'm feeling um, and not not assigning shame or judgment or, um, you know, not assigning any meaning to those thoughts or feelings. I did find the one thing that I learned through my marriage of keeping that script and holding my tongue that the things that bothered me most about that lifestyle, about those 25 years that I shared that with him, 
the things that I was most unhappy about had nothing to do with him. They were me and my problems and my fears. And so in knowing that and having these conversations with my partner now, I find that if I believe what he says and I am, it's super scary, but I have to have faith. It's kind of the irony there. Um, I have to have faith that I am awesome enough to be celebrated and that I have the strength to celebrate myself, the good, the bad, the ugly, every facet, it can be desirable in some force, or I have the strength to fix it that I don't like. I, uh, I've got one last question I want to throw out. And then I don't know that I've got anything else I necessarily wanted to ask. I, I think this kind of wraps it up for the, the things I think were kind of stewing around in my own head. But I know that in relationships, I've heard this as I sat around tables with other couples and my wife and I have had this conversation as well as other couples around us who say like, man, what would that look like? The, the comment always comes up about how sex is the thing that makes the relationship special to one half of that couple or maybe both halves. But somebody always seems to speak up and go like, ooh, I don't know that I could do that because it feels like the thing, the thing that the two of us have that we don't share with anyone else is uh, the sexual relationship, the sexual dynamic. And there's fear on one half of the relationship and sometimes both halves of the relationship that if you begin to open up and have those experiences with other people that you say like, then what makes us special? Like what is special about us? And, And again, I've heard this over and over and over again. And I'm curious for those who live in this lifestyle of non-monogamy in all of its variations, what is it that makes your relationship special still that you would say to the other person who has that fear, say like, well, this is what we found that still makes us unique um, and still makes us something that is uh, special to the both of us. I actually have those kind of questions with myself all the time, trying to articulate why what my partner and I have. I, it's funny because in our everyday discussions, I tell people that I interact with that I love them, and I do love them. And so I found that when I would say to my partner that I love them, um, it felt a little bit shallow because what I feel for him and my commitment to him at this, you know, is more enriched and more in depth and more connected in our intimacy is I actually tell him all the time that he's my favorite. You are my very favorite. And I don't know, it's so childish and a thought, but I think it goes back to, so like our intimacy. So when we have sex and we have intercourse or we make out or we do that energy, that connection, that intimacy is like no other. And the goal is, that I'm maybe somewhere down the line, something changes. But as of for now, that commitment enriches our intimacy and the commitment we have that he is my favorite. He is my home base. He is the reason that I get to do all these things because he loves me. He trusts me. He celebrates my curiosities, my adventure that I want to be on and his as well. 
that our commitment to our home base or ourselves as a couple is our favorite, is the most important. The commitment is there because our sex is like no other sex. If anything, when we have sexual interactions with other people, when we come back and we're doing aftercare, talking or discussing, it either does enrich or does not enrich our home base. And if it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it was weird or odd or awkward and we either laugh about it or we're, or we're uncomfortable, but we don't do that again. Or we figure out exactly what made it uncomfortable because all our goal is to enrich us. I like that a lot. Um, I, I think that um, no matter what you do, that you've got to continue to have conversations with your primary partner and with yourself. Continue to ask those questions, like you said. Continue to communicate. And, and be open, um, be aware of your own feelings and take into consideration your partners and, and work through that discomfort. Um, this has been a fascinating conversation, River, and I am so grateful for your time and for your knowledge and for taking the time to just talk with us today. Uh, do you have any other thoughts, Bill, before we finish up? Uh, I no, I don't have any other questions. My only, I guess my only thing in closing would be uh, I heard a rumor that uh, River picked out a song for us. Oh, you did. Do you want to no, tell us I, what song? Uh, I think I know the name of the song. One thing that I would love to finish up with, sometimes the goal is to figure out what we're talking about. Sometimes we have curiosities. We have things that we want to go on an adventure. Sometimes we just have wishes. And sometimes we have fantasies. And I think the stem of making ethical non-monogamy work is figuring out when our wants are just wishes or fantasies and when our wants are something that we need. And hopefully with our partners, we can find out what those things are and feed those needs and, and play with the fantasies amongst ourselves um, to grow and enrich our intimacy with our partners. I love it. So the song that I love is Bulletproof Picasso by Train. Awesome. Thanks, River. It's fun talking with you guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Glad you joined us. I hope the listeners enjoyed the conversation. At the very least, I hope the listeners go off and start at talking to their, their partner about what they want and what they need and make space that no one's manipulating and no one's shutting the other side down and nobody is, you know, just acting unhealthy or or hurting somebody else, but having open conversations about who they are. And uh, and I I think life gets better on this side of things when you start to do that. So thanks so much for, for the conversation. Yeah. And I just, I want to throw out too, that we're not advocating one way over another. Just, I think it's important that we have conversations in, in our relationships, no matter what the conversation is, whether that's sex or how to manage bills or how to manage kids, like just be open and have conversations because that's how we continue to grow. And I think continue to grow together. Agreed. If you can talk about sex and your likes or dislikes, you can talk about anything. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For 
coaching opportunities, or extra support, visit NoNonsenseSpirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.